those who were grafted in from the nations of your solemn choice would come forward and know and practice the feasts of the Lord. We give you glory and honor and praise, Almighty God, that these are just a shadow, but you are the substance, your son. And if we set aside Yeshua anytime that we're looking at the feasts or these appointed assemblies of the Lord, then we have things out of, out of whack. Yeshua is our main focus. Yeshua is the one mediator between us and God the Father. He's a true representation of the Father. There has been no one greater that's ever come or yet to come than Yeshua, the true representative of the Father, to bring reconciliation of every man and woman and child on the face of this earth so that they can enjoy the presence forever of God the Father through the Son by the equipping and the empowering of the Ruach HaKodesh. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And so today, today's message is entitled, First Fruits. And with that first fruits of the resurrection, I need to give an introduction. Because you know, there's, there's times for a lot of people who have been grafted into the Commonwealth of Israel, they're introduced to a brand new calendar where days, according to the Gregorian calendar, start at sunrise to sunset. According to the biblical Hebrew calendar, it begins at sunset, and then the full day goes to the next sunset of the following day. And so with this, the biblical Jewish lunar calendar, the Jewish calendar is based on the cycles of the moon. Each have 12 months starting with a new moon. God commanded the Israelites to celebrate the new moon, the beginning of each month, called Rosh Kodesh, just as he told them to celebrate the Sabbath, the biblical feasts. We have followed the Jewish calendar tradition handed down over through the centuries. And what was the very first special occasion that the Lord spoke to his people? That being the Sabbath, Shabbat. And that's why we're meeting today on, on Shabbat. This is the date in the Hebrew calendar, the seventh day of the week. Scripture's references are Genesis 2-3, Exodus 31, 15 through 15, Messianic Jews, Hebrews uh, chapter 9, verse 9 and 10. Shabbat lasts from what? Sundown Friday evening until shortly after sundown on Saturday when some observe the Havdalah, which ends the Sabbath and begins the new week. All days are counted in relation to the Sabbath. And so the first day that follows the Sabbath is the first day of the week to Jewish people. The Gregorian calendar, they say it's the Sunday. And so we have to take in consideration both of these calendars. Because there are times like this year where Passover begins on a different course than what resurrection or first fruits is. And there are sometimes, if you watch the calendars from years to year, it can be up to two to three weeks. Because as I said earlier, earlier the Gregorian calendar goes by 
sun rising to sunset, where the biblical Hebrew calendar goes from the setting of the sun to the setting of the sun to the next day. And so with this, this gives further evidence of the centrality of this day to the Jewish people being Shabbat. And so now we're going to go through a very, very quick synopsis of the Feast of the Lord. And which is the first Feast of the Lord, but Passover, Pesach, which we just recently celebrated. According to the biblical uh, Hebrew calendar, it's of the 14th month of Nisan. Now, if you were to search for a Gregorian calendar, you would never see the month of Nisan even listed. And so according to the uh, Gregorian calendar, that usually runs between March and April from year to year. And where does it speak about the 14th of Nisan as being the time to celebrate Pesach, Passover? That's Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 through 14, Leviticus 23, 5, Numbers 28, 16, Deuteronomy 16, 1, Luke 22, 1, and Messianic Jews, Hebrews 11, 28. I'm not expecting you to write and turn to those pages so quickly because this is just a synopsis. So what is the biblical background of this? Pesach Passover celebrates God's protection over the Israelites during the 10th plague in Egypt, the killing of the firstborn. Each Israelite family was to apply the blood of a perfect unblemished lamb on the doorposts, the lentil, and the doorposts of their home so that the angel of death would pass over them and sparing them from this plague. So you may ask, what is the traditional Jewish observance of Pesach? Here is the synopsis, not all the details. Leaven, which is yeast and bread, is removed from the home before the first night of Passover. The family Seder meal, special foods help tell the story of deliverance from slavery. There are three pieces of unleavened bread, matzah, placed in a special bag. The centerpiece broken and hidden, the afikomen, that which is coming, is to be found later and used to complete the meal. Four cups of wine are shared, each with its unique message. And those of you that were in person celebrating Passover with us on April 1st, that we celebrated even prior to Passover this year, you were able to observe and participate. So continuing. So what is the New Testament, the Brit Hadashah connection to Passover? Yeshua Jesus celebrated Passover with his Talmudim, that's his disciples, on the last night, the last supper, his last night. A Passover Seder dinner, the context for communion or the Lord's Supper. This is found in Luke chapter 22, verses 17 through 20. It says this in 1 Corinthians 5, 7. For our Pesach, our Passover lamb, the Messiah has been sacrificed for us. So how do we apply this Pesach Passover to ourselves personally? Each person needs to apply what? The blood of this lamb to the doorpost of his heart, the lentil and the doorpost of his heart, to be delivered from bondage of sin and spiritual death. In Matthew 26, 28, it says this. This was Yeshua speaking at his last supper on Passover. 
For this is my blood, which ratifies the new covenant, the Brit Hadishah. My blood shed on behalf of many, so that they may have their sins forgiven. Now we must now look at the other portion, the next appointed time, and it's during the sign setting of Passover. And it's called the Feast of Unleavened Bread, Matzot, singular. And when, when does that start? According to the Hebrew biblical calendar, it starts on the 15th throughout the 21st of Nisan. And if you were to count those days, remember, from sunset to the next sunset, that's the day. You would count seven days. And I've been asked this question many, many times. Okay, Rabbi, why does it show here in this Hebrew calendar there's actually eight days? The reason is that those outside the land and people want to participate, you know, in about approximately the same time. Israel is so many hours ahead of us, are they not? And that's so, so the rabbis, when the people were dispersed, they, they allowed them to have an extra day to prepare. And so continuing, where does it speak of unleavened bread? Being the 15th through the 21st of Nisan for seven days. Exodus 12, 15 through 20, and verse 39. Leviticus 23, 6 and 8. Numbers 28, 17 through 25. Deuteronomy 6, 16, 3. Luke 22, 7, Acts 26, and 1 Corinthians 5, 7, and 8. So what is the biblical background of unleavened bread? It is a reminder of the unleavened bread the Israelites took with them when, when to, they were freed from bondage in Egypt. They had to flee quickly, and there was no time to let their bread rise. So what is the traditional Jewish observance of unleavened bread? Only unleavened bread can be eaten during those seven days. There are many recipes for cooking with unleavened bread. And if you ever search on the internet, there's tons of wonderful recipes. Now, what is the correlation uh, of unleavened bread with the New Testament? The bread Hadishah. Yeshua broke unleavened bread with his disciples at his last Seder meal, saying it was his body and that when they that when he broke it, it should rem that when they break it in the future, they should remember him. Unleavened bread is striped and pierced and broken, a physical reminder of Yeshua's death. Isaiah 53 declares this He was wounded because of our crimes, crushed because of our sins, and by his bruises we we're healed. So, how do we personally apply this? To our lives. Leaven is often seen as a symbol of sin in the scriptures. So its removal from the home is a symbolic purification of, from sin. And that's what Yeshua accomplished in our lives. Rav Shaul, the Apostle Paul, urges believers to get rid of the old hametz, the leaven, because in reality, you are unleavened bread. For our Pesach lamb, our Passover lamb, the Messiah has been sacrificed. 1 Corinthians uh, 5, 7. And lastly here, this is the part of the message we'll be focusing on today. First fruits. Two, two separate uh, designations of this. Because it can get a little confusing. And we'll be going into the definition of these words, all right? 
because they're so similar and they're, they're, they're so intertwined with one another, a lot of times people get them mixed up. So first fruits, Yom Habrakim and Shifat HaOmer. One is the counting of the sheaths that, the, that was, were given to the priest and he was to weigh before the Lord. But what is the first fruits that they're speaking of there? That is the first fruits of the barley harvest. So in present day Israel at this time, what is going on? They're now harvesting barley. That was the first fruits. You know what's really even more confusing? Is that after those 49 days of counting forward, then comes a 50th day. And that's another day which is also Yom Habrakim, which simply means first fruits. And what is that signifying? The wheat harvest. And then they were to what? To bring the loaves and they're to bring it to the, the priest. And he's to wave that as a thanksgiving, sacrificial offering to the Lord. So both are first fruits. One is early first fruits. And that's the one that we're going to be focusing on today. Because I will be teaching on Pentecost, which is Shavuot, the Feast of Weeks, and that will be during that 49-day period. So in first fruits, Yom Haburkim, Shifrat HaOmer. First fruits and also the counting of the Omer. We do that for 49 days. We're, what, when is this supposed to start? But on the 16th of Nisan, which according to the Gregorian calendar could either be March or April. Where is this stated in scripture? Leviticus chapter 23, verses 9 through 14. And I ask for you to turn there right now. Because once I'm done with this summary, we'll begin right away. Luke chapter, excuse me, Leviticus chapter 23, 9 through 14. Also, it speaks of it in Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 35, and 1 Corinthians 15, 20 through 23. So what is the biblical background in correlation with first fruits? First fruit is celebrated in the spring with the barley harvest, which began in the month of Nisan. The Lord required the Israelites to bring the first sheaf of the harvest, the first fruits, to his temple as a wave offering. Before there was a temple, they brought it to the tabernacle. The counting of the Omer, that's the Shifrat HaOmer. The counting of the Omer, the sheaves, begins on the day that the sheep was waved in the temple. And it ends 50 days later at Shavuot, which is Pentecost. Remember, the wheat harvest. First we have the barley, then we have the wheat. Customary, it is to say each night after sundown, when the new day begins. So today is actually the third day of the counting of the Omer, according to the Hebrew biblical counter, calendar. And this is what is recited at sundown tonight. Blessed are you, Adonai, our God, sovereign of the universe, who has sanctified us with your commandments and commanded us to count the Omer. And after the blessing, recite the appropriate day, which uh, tonight would be the third day. And then after the first six days, include the number of weeks that one has counted. Some of you may already have a Hebrew biblical calendar, and on there it will state each day of, of, uh, of uh, calling 
and speaking of the Omer. So with that, Omer, the county of Omer, is to connect the early first fruits, which is the barley harvest, with the latter first fruits of Pentecost, which is the wheat harvest. The Feast of Weeks, and often devotional thoughts are shared during that time. So what is the New Testament connection? From 1 uh, from Corinthians chapter 15, 20. But the fact is that Messiah has been what? Raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have died. So what is the personal application? Yeshua was resurrected from the dead on the feast of first fruits, the barley harvest, first fruits. It wasn't 50 days after during Shavuot. See, because some people, as they begin to learn and study this, they get confused because there's first fruits here, the wheat harvest, we have first fruits here, the barley harvest. When does the counting begin? You see, there's all that confusion going on. So continuing, Yeshua was resurrected from the dead on the feast of first fruits as a sign of his messiahship and future resurrection of what? All people. See, Jewish people believe in the resurrection of the dead. Daniel speaks of that. Those who have honored God will be resurrected to eternal life in his presence. And those who were disobedient in their lives on this earth, they will be eternally separated from God. So continuing here. Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord, Yeshua the Messiah, who is keeping with his great mercy has caused us through the resurrection of Yeshua the Messiah from the dead, to be born again to a living hope. And where's that from? First Kepha, First Peter 1, 3. And so that's the introduction. Now we're going to go in here into the definitions. Because these words, sometimes they can be a little confusing. So first fruits in Hebrew is Bikarim. All right? And I was taught by rabbis as a young student, that when you look at a word that's been translated from Hebrew into English, and you'll see the word B, capital B, or B-I, or B-E, and that's how you, how you learn how to pronounce it properly. Think about the word Berjit. That's Genesis, the beginning or the first. See the correlation there? And so, bo or cream is literally means the promise to come because they were expecting God's provision. See this barley harvest? They would give that to the priest, the sheaf, and he would wave it before the Lord, saying that we trust in the spring harvest, that the Lord has honored us with early rains so that our crops would grow. That's the Lord's provision. We're expecting now that if we bring this barley harvest and we have our priest wave it before the Lord as a sacrificial thank offering, the Lord will allow during the period of the summer for our, excuse me, fr from the period of the spring up to the Shavuot, which is the wheat harvest, that the Lord will also bring rains. And then wheat will come up. And then we'll be able to take that after those 49 days on the 50th day. We'll bring in that harvest and we'll say, yes, O Lord, we acknowledge you in all your provision. And 
I was getting ahead of myself right there. Now through the summertime period, it becomes very dry and arid in the land of Israel. And so there are times when there is not as much rain. They did not have the modern irrigation that we have today. And so with this, they were, they were trusting the Lord for his provision coming in for the fall appointed times when they would bring sacrificial gifts unto the Lord. And so continuing here. And there is one who never breaks his promise, speaking of the Lord God. And that is why the truth behind this promise to come is God's word is so powerful. So the Hebrew word for yom is day, like Yom Kippur. Okay? So with this, Yom Bukrin is the day of first fruits. And notice that it's not singular, it is plural. Sifrat in Hebrew means counting of. Counting of what? The Omer. In Hebrew, Omer is a measurement that is two quart dry measure. Did you hear that word? It's dry. Because if you wet down the, the, the seeds, they seem to be a lot more heavier, do they not? And to be a biblical, righteous measure, that barley had to be dried. Do you know the place where the Temple Mount was actually constructed? Was actually a place where they used to use winnowing forks and they'd winnow through the barley, and then later they would winnow through the wheat. And as they cast it up there, what was separated? The wheat and the chaff. And also it allowed that wheat to dry out. Because if you put wheat and put it in your storing containers or barley, and it has high intensity of moisture, what happens? Mold and rot. Your harvest is spoiled. So continuing here. So, Sifrat in Hebrew means counting of. Omer in Hebrew is a measurement that is two quart dry measure. So Sifrat HaOmer is the first measurement of the early first fruits. See, the first fruits, sometimes when we think of fruit, we think of an apple, a pear, a grape. No, even grains are fruits that the Lord has ordained. And so this is the first measurement of the early first fruits, which is barley. So now let us now put this all together. Yambi Kurim is the first day of first fruits. And so they're given instruction on Shifrat HaOmer, which is the beginning of counting this, the Omer. And this is the measurement and offering and the counting of days to God that would last up to 49 days. And this now brings us to the second first fruits, as I said earlier, the wheat harvest, which is Shavuot, Feast of Weeks, and is at Pentecost. Let us now bring this to conclusion. This is the Yom Bukrim, the day of first fruits, the earliest harvest of the fruit in Israel, the barley, the grain. And Shifrat HaOmer is the first day which coincides with it, the measuring or counting of the offering of the first fruit for the next 49 days until the harvest of wheat at Shavuot 
happens on the 50th day. So first fruits is required offering to God is to be done when? But on the 16th of Nisan, that month of the Hebrew lunar, lunar calendar follows the cycles of the moon, while the Gregorian calendar follows the cycles of the sun. And this would be either March or April, according to the Gregorian calendar. You may be asking, Rabbi, why are you repeating that? Because we have to understand there are two different calendars here. There's a Hebrew biblical calendar and there's a Gregorian calendar. So going forward, first fruits is celebrated the spring barley harvest, which began in the month of Nisan. The Adonai, the Lord, requires the Israelites to bring the first sheep of the harvest, the first fruits to his temple or to his priests, and is to be made as a wave offering. You're probably already there. So let us read. In Vaikra chapter 23, and we're beginning in verse number 9. Prior to this, we have listing of the unleavened bread in detail. And prior to this, we have Shabbat first, we have Pesach, and then we have the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is Matzah. So beginning in verse number 9, it says this, And Adonai said to Moshe, Tell the people of Israel, after you enter the land, I'm giving you, and harvest its ripe crops. Notice this, this is before they even enter the land. You are to bring a sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the Kohen, which is a priest. He is to wave the sheaf before Adonai, so that you will be accepted. The Kohen is to wave it on the day after Shabbat, which to the Jewish people was what? The first day of the week. But to most of those who've been grafted in, they call that day Sunday. On that day you, that you wave the sheaf, you are to offer a male lamb without defect. In the first year is a burnt offering for Adonai. Its grain offering is to be what? One gallon of fine flour mixed with olive oil. An offering made by fire to Adonai as a fragrant aroma. Its drink offering is to be of wine, one quart. You are not to eat bread, dried grain, or fresh grain until the day you bring the offering for your God. This is what a permanence. What does permanent mean? Forever. A permanent regulation through all your generations, no matter where you live. Notice that. Because he knew that they were going to be cast out from time to time. It's amazing that this past year, there are more Jewish people living in the land of Israel from throughout the other known parts of the world. And so the Lord knew all these things. See, nothing takes him by surprise. And continuing here in verse number 15. From that day after the rest, that is, from the day that you bring the sheaf for waving, you are to count what? Seven full weeks, which adds up to what? 49 days. And on the 50th is Shavuot. So now here as we dig a little bit deeper. So some of you may be asking, well, aren't they commanded to bring a lamb? But know this, Yeshua our Messiah is our lamb offering, made once and for all time. So let us continue. The series of spring holy days continues with the arrival of Yom Haberkim, which is day of first fruits, 
and was correlated tightly with that is Shifrat Haomer, which is the counting of the measuring of the barley. Literally, it is a counting of the Omer or sheaves. In practical terms, this celebrates the first of spring. When the first barley harvest was brought as an offering to the priest in the tabernacle and later to the temple. The lesson here is clear. If God has been faithful to bless with an early harvest, he will most certainly provide harvest later in the summer, which is the time of Shavuot, the feast of Shavuot. Jewish observances of the festival has varied throughout history. In the days of the temple, bringing the offering as a thanksgiving tithe to God was a quite elaborate ceremony. The Talmud states this, that a priest would meet a group of Jewish pilgrims on the edge of the city, then lead them up to the temple mount as they carried their offerings of their first fruits. The priest would lead a praise service with music. Hallel, which is praise, psalms, and dance. As the worshipers arrived at the temple compound, the priest would then take the barley sheaves, lift some up in the air, and wave them in every direction. By doing so, the whole crowd would be acknowledging God's provision and sovereignty over all the earth. That last paragraph came from Alfred Edersheim, in his book, Section of the Temple, page 256. Now let us look to the traditional Jewish observance. And like I said, this is a synopsis. If I was to go into all details, this could be five to six separate messages. So Jewish people began counting the Omer on the second night of Passover at their second Seder with the reading of the traditional blessing. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has set us apart by your commandments and has commanded us concerning the sheaf. This blessing is read every evening for the next 49 days with the adjustment made according to the number of days that have been counted. For example, Ham Hayom, Yom Echad Le'Omer. Today is the first day of the sheaf. The next day would be then the second day, then the third until the 49th day is reached. On the 50th day marks the next major holy day of the biblical calendar called Shavuot, Feast of Weeks and Pentecost. In essence, then Shifrat Ha'omer, the counting of the sheaf, is not a countdown, but a counting up in what anticipation of the next great work of God at Shavuot. And traditionally, what happened on Shavuot? Moses came down with the Ten Commandments. Fast forward in Acts chapter 2, what took place? The 120 Jewish believers were there in the upper room, and the Ruach, the Holy Spirit, descended upon them. That's what took place. So these are great times and great times of, of anticipation, expect, expectation from the Lord. So continuing, the blessing and the numbering of the Omer can be found in most Jewish prayer books. Some people even make use of a special calendar, as I mentioned before, that lists the days of the Omer. 
So now let's go quickly to the Brit Hadisha, the New Testament observance. Since it is overshadowed by the grandeur of Passover, one wonders if Yom Bikrim, the day of early first fruits, has any significance in the Brit Hadisha, the New Testament. Indeed, the holiday is mentioned in the Brit Hadishah a number of times. I believe it should be one of the most important festivals for all Messianic believers in Yeshua. A close reading of 1 Corinthians chapter 15 will show us the vital link of Yom Bikurim, which is first fruits, the day of early first fruits, to the ministry of Messiah Yeshua. As Rabbi Shaul of Tarsus teaches the believers, about the doctrine of the resurrection. Shaul makes an amazing connection to this biblical holiday. So let us now turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And beginning at verse number 1. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now brothers, I must remind you of the good news which I proclaim to you which you received and on which you take your stand, by which you are being saved. Notice that? That's live. That's a continuation. Provided you keep holding fast to the message I proclaim to you. For if you don't, your trust will have been in vain. For among the first things I passed on to you is what I had also received, namely this, that Messiah died for our sins in accordance to what the Tanakh says. And he was buried and he was raised on the third day, in accordance with what the Tanakh says. And he has been seen by Kepha, Peter, by the twelve, and afterwards he was seen by more than 500 brothers at one time, the majority whom are still alive, though some have died. Later, he was seen by Yaakov, that's Yeshua's brother, then by all the emissaries, all the apostles. And last, he was seen even by me, even though I was born at the wrong time. Who's speaking here but Rav Shaul? For I am the least of the emissaries, unfit to be called an emissary because I persecuted the Messianic community of God. But by God's grace, I am what I am. And his grace towards me is not in vain. On the contrary, I have worked harder than them all, although I was not, I but the grace of God with me. Anyhow, whether I or they, this is what we proclaim, and this is what you have believed. But it has been proclaimed that Messiah has been raised from the dead. How is it some of you are saying that there is no such thing as a resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then Messiah has not been raised. And if Messiah has not been raised, then we have proclaimed what we have proclaimed is in vain. Also, your trust is in vain. Furthermore, we are shown up as false witnesses for God in having testified that God raised up the Messiah, whom he did not raise, if it is true that that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Messiah has not been raised either. If the Messiah has not been raised, your trust is useless. And you are still in your sins. 
Also, if this is the case, those who died in union with Messiah are what? Are lost. If it is only for this life that we put our hope in Messiah, we are more pitiable than anyone. The fact is that Messiah has been raised from the dead. Notice that word? Fact. Undeniable, proven truth. But the fact is that Messiah has been raised from the dead and the first fruits of those who have died. For since death came through a man, also the resurrection of the dead has come through a man. For just as in connection with Adam all die, so in connection with the Messiah we have been made alive. But each to his own order. The Messiah is the first fruits. Notice that word. Then those who belong to Messiah at the time of his coming, his appearing, then the culmination of when he hands over the kingdom of God to his father. After having put an end to every rulership and every authority and power. For he has to rule until he puts all his enemies under his feet. And so with this, we see clearly that Rav Shaul is now making this connection of first fruits directly to the resurrection of Messiah. So Rav Shaul also gave him greater insight. And where is that? 1 Corinthians, excuse me, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. We're now going to compare these two. As you're turning there, I'll go ahead and begin reading here very shortly. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13. Now, brothers, we want you to know the truth about those who have died. Otherwise, you might be sad the way other people do who have nothing to hope for. For since we believe that Yeshua died and rose again, so we believe that in the same way God, through Yeshua, will take with him those who have died. When we say this, we base it on the Lord's own word. We who remain alive when the Lord comes will certainly not take precedence over those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a rousing cry, with a call from the one of the ruling angels and with God's shofar. Those who've died united with Messiah will be first to rise. And then we who are alive still will be caught up with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we'll always be with the Lord. So encourage one another with these words. It's important now that we read verse 16 again. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a rousing cry, with a call from the one of the ruling angels and with God's shofar. And those who died united with Messiah will rise first. That's speaking of that harvest. That's speaking of those who died. They were planted just like the wheat in the ground and the barley to bring a future harvest. They are the first fruits in that context. 
So continuing here, let us now read verse number 17 for comparison. Then we who are left still alive will be caught up with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we will always be with the Lord. So with this, we see now a second harvest. Now of those who are alive, they are the first fruits of Yeshua's harvest. Also those who are trusting in Yeshua and are alive when he comes. See, what's this based on is not religion. It's based on those whose eyes were closed, had trust and a relationship with Messiah. And those that are living at that time who have put their trust and walking God's provision, what is his provision at one time? To take him, them with him. First those who are dead and those that are alive. So each, in each order. Now let us turn back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 22 and 23. Because we have to compare these scriptures to lay one on top of the other. Uh, verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22. For, for just as connection, as in the connection with Adam, all die. So in connection with Messiah, all will be made alive. But each in his own order. The Messiah is the first fruits. Remember the barley harvest? He fulfilled that. Remember, that's a type in the shadow. He's the substance. Then those who belong to Messiah at the time of his coming... His appearing is the first fruits. Now, is that a singular or a plural word? It is a plural. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18 mirrors 1 Corinthians 15, 20 through 23. And so what, how does this end? In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 18. What is the word? So encourage one another with these words. If you were to go to Jerusalem and go to that tomb today, you would notice that that stone has been rolled away. How easy it would have been for the Sanhedrin to go and to search and to remove that body and hold it in front of everyone and say, you know what, these guys are liars. But what is the truth? So with his resurrection, him being the first fruits, we are becoming the latter fruit, first fruits. Those who are sleeping in Messiah and those who are alive at that appointed time in the future. Because the Lord, the Father, only knows the day or the hour. No man knows that time. So 1 Corinthians 15, 23 speaks of this. Although many read this passage as a commentary of an order in the resurrection, Shaul is actually making a technical reference to the holy day of first fruits. It is not merely that Yeshua was the first to rise bodily from the grave, but that by doing so, he is a direct fulfillment of the feast of first fruits. This makes perfect sense as we reflect on the details of the day. Now we must look to the prophetic fulfillment. Traditional observance of this feast points to the resurrection of the Messiah. It is a harvest festival, and barley sheaves are waved before the Lord. Think of it. The grain that had come from the earth is now lifted up high for all to see. Yeshua alluded to this, to his resurrection, in similar terms, when he said in Yohanan 
John, the Gospel, chapter 12, verses 23 through 24 and 23. Yeshua gave them this answer. The time has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Yes, indeed, I tell you that unless a grain of wheat falls and goes into the ground and dies, it stays just a grain. But if it dies, it produces a big harvest. And verse number 32 of John 12. As for me, when I'm lifted up from the earth, then I will draw all men unto myself. What is that speaking of him? Being on that execution stake, upon that cross, upon that tree. He has to do that because that's the bridge. That's the vehicle for us to put our trust in that he both died and he rose from the dead so that we can have eternal life. So continuing here. Consequently, this parable was spoken to the Jewish Talmudim as they came to celebrate the Passover just before the first fruits in John chapter 12, verses 1 and 20. The resurrection of the Messiah from the dead is a perfect, perfectly symbolized in the wave offering of the first fruits. A practical guide now we'll look at for Messianic believers in Messiah Yeshua. Having discovered the theme of Burakim, which is first fruits, the resurrection, believers in Messiah should appreciate the importance of this holy day. In fact, there's an irony here. You know what that irony is? That some of the early believers in the Messianic community, and especially later in the Roman church of the fourth century, began to lose touch with the Jewish understanding of the faith in Yeshua. However, the Roman church wanted to maintain the celebration of the resurrection of Messiah. So what did they do? Hence, the Council of Nicaea of 325 Common Era established, among other edicts, that all Christians going forward from that time forward are not allowed to commemorate Passover. So just think about that. If you've recently celebrated Passover, the elders and the bishops, the clergy of that Roman church would be very angry with you. They would call you in and say, you know what? You need to stop commemorating Passover. That was decided in 325, Common Era, at the Council of Nicaea. And I would give this to you. There were none of the Messianic Jewish bishops who were even invited to it. That was the beginning of separation theology. Replacement theology. That was the foundation of creating a different Jesus, a European Jesus, that had no Jewish heritage whatsoever. So they decided to observe the resurrection on a new holiday. It was no longer called first fruits because these Christians were not allowed to celebrate Passover anymore. And what was the name of that day they gave? Easter. According to this church, a Western church of a Greek mindset, not a biblical Hebrew mindset, 
Easter would then go forward, would be observed on Sunday. Remember, earlier I shared that the Jews considered the day after Shabbat, the first day of the week, the work day, the work week began. And so with this, this Greek mindset decided that it would be the, the observed on the Sunday after the spring equinox. Consequently, today, many Christians have forgotten the intimate connection between the resurrection and the Jewish holidays. See, Yeshua came to fulfill these appointed times. He's the centerpiece. And once you remove him as being the centerpiece and take him out of his heritage and his culture, you can make him say and do anything you want. You're creating a brand new God of your own creation. And you'd be amazed how many evangelical congregations believe in replacement theology. And I'll say that in a quick definition. That is this. God has now turned his back on Israel, the Jewish people. They have no hope. And that God now has raised up this church, which is predominantly from the nations, and that is his new Israel. That's a lie from the pit of hell. So it makes one wonder if, if it would be had been simpler and clearer to continue to celebrate the great works of God at his appointed time. Is it any wonder that the church historically has had such a little awareness of its own Jewish heritage? In these latter days, it's wonderful to see now many believers who are being called out, both Jews and Gentiles, desiring to understand the original context of the faith their faith in Yeshua. Burakim, which is first fruits, can be beautiful, a beautiful celebration to point people to the risen Savior of the world. And who is that? Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah. Now in ending, this is like a prayer. This is from Kepha. Peter, 1 Peter 1, 3. You heard it earlier. It's worth repeating. Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Yeshua the Messiah when keeping with his great mercy has caused all of us through the resurrection of Yeshua the Messiah from the dead to be born again to a living hope, to an inheritance that cannot decay, spoil, or fade, kept safe for you where? But in heaven. Just think, we don't know the day or the hour the Lord's going to come back for his bride those who are sleeping in the grave, who died and put their trust, and those who of us who are alive. There will be two first fruits going on simultaneously. The first fruits of those who've been planted, they've invested their trust, their last dying breath is believing that the Lord would honor his word. And just as Messiah was raised from the dead, so shall they be raised from the dead. And those who are alive shall be transformed in the twinkling of an eye we will receive our glorified bodies and we will dwell with the Lord forevermore. And that's why 1 Corinthians, excuse me, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18, 18 says, so now encourage one another with these words. So I say this to you, Hagsamaic Passover, happy Passover. And for tomorrow, which is the first day of the week, happy first fruits resurrection day. Because Yeshua never said, I am the Easter he said, I am the resurrection and I am the life. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Shabbat Shalom.